welcome to this episode of Design for Voice. I'm your host, Jeremy Wilkin, and today we're going to be talking about conversational maxims. These are some rules that we can apply to how we build out our conversational experiences so that they feel more complete and not out of place uh, and in more touch with reality. I'm joined today by Erica Hall, who is co-founder and director of strategy at Mule Design. Welcome to the show, Erica. Hi, it's, uh, it's great to be here talking with you. Why don't you give us a little bit of your background and your experience here in the conversation space? Wow. Uh, so I've been doing uh, design consulting, uh, I, I just say for most of the 21st century at this point. And, um, and this has involved uh, uh, just about all aspects of, you know, research strategy and front end design. And I got particularly interested in uh, language because it seemed like designers were really neglecting that aspect of it. So it's not like I came out of content strategy specifically or writing specifically. It's that my approach in design and in working with clients has always been to try to find the areas that I feel other designers or technologists are neglecting and really work on that area. Awesome. And I think as I read your book and tried to figure out more about the conversational principles, it, it applies to voice, it applies to UI, web design, it can apply to print design. It, it's ubiquitous across all design and trying to be more conversational, not just verbally and vocally, but also in the way that things are presented on the screen and, and mm -hmm. the specific terms and words that are used uh, even on a web page. Yeah, absolutely. And I first started talking about this stuff like way back in 2007. I, I did my first conference talk. It was called uh, Copy as Interface. And it was about the fact that the language, even just the words on web pages, because at that point, uh, the, the web was a whole different place and, you know, far less uh, interactive and more constrained. Uh, that the language choices that you made were key design choices for for brand, for interaction design, and and a lot of and designers were kind of neglecting this very powerful uh, mode because they thought, oh, design is the part with the pictures and behaviors, and the words are we're just going to lorem ipsum those out. And so that's when I really first started trying to bring this to. Uh, the attention of people working in, you know, design and and software is not the last thing you fill in before you launch, you know, some software service or something. And to that point, I think today we want to talk about the couple of maxims from uh, Grice and Lakoff has added one extra. So there's five total that give us some sense and place to start from when we want to start building out these conversations and these terms and words and things that we put on the screen or verbalize or, or bring to the user in whatever format that is. So before we start talking about all of the maxims, let's step back and just say, what what is a maxim? Uh, what do we learn from it? So uh, there is this British guy, Paul Grice, and he was a, a philosopher of linguistics. And he worked in the area of linguistics known as pragmatics, which is the things that carry meaning outside of just um, 
you know, the words themselves, but like what aspects of the content of your communication convey meaning. And in way back in 1967, uh, he wrote an essay in which he articulated uh, this principle of um, of cooperation. And then he articulated four maxims, which is how they're, they're essentially the, the, principles that you follow in order to be cooperative because his idea his fundamental idea was that conversation uh, between or among people requires cooperation like everybody in the conversation kind of has to agree that okay we're in a conversation we're proceeding towards this goal and um, and then he said, well, you've got to, in order to cooperate, you have to follow these principles of quantity, quality, relation, and manner. So with these these four ideas, quantity, quality, relation, and manner, we'll kind of dive into those a little bit more deeply individually. But what about these apply to just human to human? Are these also something we can apply to both human and computers? Uh, I, I think you can definitely uh, apply them to uh, to both humans and, and computers because the idea was that you know we we all have a sense of um, of when a conversation is going well versus when it, it it's going badly. You know when you walk up to somebody like the example I always use is uh, is asking for directions because that's. The, I'd say one of the most common cases in which people uh, talk to random strangers on the streets, you know, if you're in a different neighborhood or you're a tourist, a lot of times you have to just go up to a stranger and ask for directions. And you don't have to establish some sort of treaty of communication, right? There are these underlying principles. And that's that was Grice's idea, was that there are these, these things that we all follow to a greater or lesser degree, uh, in order to make the conversation work and and not get very very frustrated and have miscommunication, and if you're interacting with a system, right, it, that sort of interaction, uh, to a large extent, I think to an extent that um, that some people also ignore is is based in verbal meaning, and so to the extent that it's an exchange of verbal meaning between you and a system, which is really what a, a conversation is, right? It sort of doesn't matter. Like you can't know the mind of another person just in the same way that you don't totally intuit like what's behind the system that an interface is helping you interact with. It's it's a lot of the same principles. Like the application isn't exactly the same because there's a lot of uh, ways that interacting with uh, a piece of software, a digital system, an intelligent agent, whatever, differs from a person. Uh, so it's not exactly the same, but but the same principles, I would say, apply uh, to the extent that the interaction is, uh, you know, verbal and, and conversational. All right. So let's take it from the example perspective. So the quantity, let's take a look at that one first. Maybe that'll help flesh out a bit more detail around uh, what these mean. So quantity is how would you describe that as as one of the maxims? I'd say that's the the principle of uh, supplying just enough information um, and not too much. So it's enough, but not too much information. Um, because uh, you know, if you're holding back 
necessary information and making, like we all have this experience of you've asked somebody a question, they're having a conversation and you feel like you really have to dig for the information. Um, or if uh, you're talking to somebody and, uh, and they're going like on and on and giving you way too much information, those are both kind of like broken conversations, but you see a flow goes really well when people are, you know, kind of going back and forth and giving each other, you know, just the right amount at that time. I, I see this a lot in the personal assistant space. We, you need to give people enough information, but you also don't want to overwhelm them, especially with the somewhat artificial voices. People pick that up and, and it just, it can grade a bit more uh, when it goes on and on too long, but also it's bad when it just says something and people don't understand it. So this, this is a challenge, challenging place. And I think mm -hmm. also what's important is that just enough information might be different in this moment than maybe in another moment. Mm -hmm. For for example, if you're beginning, if your first experience with uh, with a voice app or with a website, you might need a bit more information than you do in a repeat visit. Yeah, I think the thing that's easy to forget about conversation because people really focus, developers especially, focus on the technology, and and forget that. Uh, the most important part about having a conversation is the idea that you're present in a particular context. And that context could be, you know, what level of skill you have in a language, how easy it is to hear, how technical the subject matter is. You know, our memories as humans, like computers have amazing memories, right? So I, I think that as much as possible, you need the machine to be doing all the remembering. And the problem is if you give the human too much information and require them to remember too much, that's a huge failure point. Yeah. People's short-term memories. I mean, I have kids, so I, I don't remember anything, but it's like, if, if I'm told, uh, to work through a problem, what's, what's the number of digits you can remember is like seven. That's why seven, phone numbers yeah. are seven. Um, there's little guidelines and a lot of people have heard these kinds of things, but they don't necessarily carry that through and also tailor, as you said, to the context. I think that's a really important aspect of it. The system only understands what's said on every turn, and unless somebody stores context to what came before it, it's just an isolated statement. So imagine you just get a, a soundbite randomly brought to you. What news story is it about? Or, you know, how is it related yeah. to anything else? So carrying that information through is really, really important, that, especially as the scope of this uh, of, of the system increases beyond a certain set of tasks. Yeah. And I think one of the issues that people are really having is uh, the fact that, uh, especially the home assistants, like they're constantly, the voice assistants are, are just losing context. Like they can't retain anything. Like you might say, you might tell Alexis something and then say, oh, another thing about that. But, but you always have to go back to square one. Mm -hmm. And that's also true in the web. When you navigate between pages, maybe there's no breadcrumbs or, or there's no context about where is this piece of information coming from when I thought I was clicking on this link, it, it's, there's a disconnect sometimes. Right. Or you could just have 10 tabs open. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's always a problem, but it might not always be the website's fault. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next one, which is quality. So mm -hmm. how would you summarize quality? Uh, it's uh, it's about being truthful, right? It's the quality of the information. So it's it's not just that you you give the right amount, but 
you have to be, uh, you know, representing, uh, your authentic agenda. You have to be like transparent. Uh, you have to be building trust and just, I think it's about being really, really clear about your motivations. Interesting. So the motivations are really important. You know, if I'm trying to sell something, how, you know, how do I balance the truth about engaging with you properly you know, do I get a commission or whatever that sounds like? If you go into yeah. a car dealership, you know, sometimes they'll tell you, uh, you know, we, we're not working on commission. We're working on uh, flat rate sale. I don't know, whatever the case may be. Um, but, it, you know, that maybe is useful in providing that trust and saying, okay, they're in my best interest as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And I think a really common example of this is, uh, you know, say, for example, in in search and like a a search interaction is a pretty conversational interaction, you know, whether you're typing into a text box or, uh, you know, talking to Google aloud. Uh, If you are looking for a really, really good match and some of those matches are sponsored, like that has to be represented up front. If you ask something like, oh, you know, where's the nearest coffee place? You want to know if you're really getting the nearest coffee shop or you're getting the top sponsored result. Mm-hmm. And and so that's um, – so if those sponsored results, uh, no matter how they're communicated uh, in response to a, a question or a prompt, are um, – uh, are labeled as such, or it's like, oh, hey, here's like a sponsored recommendation, then you're adhering to the maximum of quality. Excellent. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's not just about not lying and saying something that's inaccurate entirely. It's also about proactively providing some additional information to just make that experience more clear about, okay, yeah, this is a sponsored listing, or uh, we recommend these three, but this mm-hmm. one has the most reviews or works with us yeah. or whatever the case may be. So we have quantity, which is just enough information, quality, which is being truthful. And then the next one was relation. Yeah. And the the maximum of relation is about being uh, relevant, uh, you know, and not digressing and uh, going off and talking about other things. And this is really like understanding what is most relevant to a particular conversation. Like that is the place where I think humans are often much, much better uh, than computers. Like that sort of associative learning and unstructured problem solving and all of that is, is a, those are things that are really easy for people. Like you can say like, oh, because I understand your context, uh, the context behind a request or a question or behind your contribution. Oh, I can, I can use my, my social intelligence and powers of associative thinking to, uh, to provide a good, um, a good response to that. Uh, whereas that is very, very difficult for, uh, for any sort of, uh, you know, computer system. Yeah. I think the, the, I would call like the core platform of like Google assistant or Alexa do the best of this as far as trying to maintain relevancy across because they're just such a broad thing. But when it mm-hmm. comes down to being in a small set of things, uh, a lot of the voice actions or websites, you, you have sort of a one track purpose. And so, it's hard to step out of that and say, oh, we're not the thing for you. 
or, or to redirect them to something else. I think if I go to a, a CPA or, you know, some specialist and they look at whatever paperwork or a lawyer and they're like, actually, I'm not the right person for you. Like that's being very relevant and I guess also truthful about the relationship that we have and making sure that we moved in the right direction, even if it's not necessarily what they do. Yeah. And I think this is the place where things are really going to start breaking down once more and more interactions go to voice, because you see what's happened on the web, uh, where uh, websites are violating the maxim of relation with all of the ads and calls to action. You know, the one everybody's talking about now is a you know, newsletters are just popping up immediately, right? Because you didn't ask for that. Like you made a request because, you know, if you're using the web, you're you're just like requesting pages. Um, and instead of giving you what's most relevant, uh, the system is handing you the thing that helps them meet their business goals where you're like, oh, you know, I was looking up movie times, but instead I got, you know, a newsletter pop up and I got an ad pop up and I got... Uh, something totally unrelated. And so and you can see how frustrating that is. And I think once we're doing more using voice, that means that the sponsorship and things are going to creep more into voice. And I'm really afraid that there's going to be a lot of irrelevant uh, information presented because it's relevant to the sponsors to give you that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the monetization strategy in voice is still ethereal in, in lots of cases yeah. there's transactions there's some basic stuff that mm-hmm. um, doesn't scale for a lot of things and that's why essentially it's free to develop these these apps because th- there's not a lot of money in them at the moment and so it'll be interesting to see and I, I I'm curious to see what what will happen with the voice space but I know people need to be thinking about this and how do I relate properly to my yeah. users and avoid overextending the context that was given to me and trying to mm-hmm. abuse that power yeah, because you, you can imagine what this is like if you're talking, if you ask somebody directions and they all of a sudden try to start selling you something, you'd be incredibly annoyed. And you'd feel, I think, because most people aren't just as lay people familiar with these underlying principles, you have a sense of like, wait a second, that's not cool. It's not cool that I asked somebody for directions and all of a sudden they tried to sell me something. And yet when we're using the web, that's just sort of our condition of interaction is like, oh, I'm going to try to read a newspaper, but the newspaper is going to try to sell me something and also interfere with my quest for information. All right, let's move to the last one, which is manner. So how would you summarize manner? Well, manner, um, manner is kind of a big one. I think Grice like packed a lot into this one. I don't know if he was just going for four, um, but because <laughs> it's really, he said it's, it's to be brief, orderly, and unambiguous, uh, which is, uh, you know, just uh, uh, be, you know, get to the point and and communicate in a in an organized sort of way like don't meander uh you know make sure that you lead with the piece of information cuz you might give somebody the right amount of information but you give it to them in the wrong order and that's mm. um that's a helpful cuz they start thinking about what you said and you're like oh no no wait i meant it's like when somebody's a really bad storyteller and they're they're telling you a story and they're like oh no i meant to say this other thing before that and it really like messes up your processing and understanding. Um, 
And so, so it means like if, if you're, uh, you're having a conversation, you know, with a human or a system, like you want, after you say something, you want the response, uh, to lead with, you know, the first most important thing you need to understand the rest of what follows. And you really need it to be brief so that you can then take your turn. Cause you know, conversation is a, a matter of, of each party taking their turn. And if you say something and the other person just like goes on and on and on, it's not really a conversation anymore. Right. So we want to be brief to the point and very clear about what we're sharing, because if we don't, we risk losing attention or offending them or frustrating them and preventing them from getting to their turn, uh, whatever their goal might be. Yeah. And this is, and these are all ways of, um, you know, being a a good conversationalist. All right. And then the last one was about politeness, which Mm -hmm. wasn't part of Grice's original four, but you've, you've added it in your book. And I think it's a really important piece to add in. So what else do we have to say about politeness in this conversation? Yeah. So, um, a few years later in, in America, in 1973, uh, a linguist at UC Berkeley, Robin Lakoff, came up with, a, she, she wrote a paper called The Logic of Politeness. And she said that the principle of politeness is that you need to not impose yourself in a conversation. You need to give options. And you also need to make the listener feel good. And so I think this is just something to move beyond Uh, what makes a conversation purely functional to actually feeling respectful. Mm -hmm. Uh, This seems like a good citizenship. If you're talking about how do I converse with somebody without, you know, trying to hurt their feelings in the process, which unless your whole persona is to be rude or, you know, there's a few rare cases like that, which I still think are uh, not very often. and, And I'm not a big fan of them myself, but, um, Typically, you offend your user, you've lost a potential customer or user or whatever the case. Yeah. And I, I think uh, one of the most common examples of uh, of seeing politeness uh, embodied or, or not embodied in interactive systems is in error messages, right? There's so many. And it's it's gotten better, but I think a lot of times because... By the time it got to, you know, system level error messages or problems with interaction, like those cases used to be designed less well, you'd get an error message that made you, the user feel stupid, right? It was like, oh my God, I'm giving you the information, but I'm giving it to you in such a way where, oh, you're supposed to fill out this form right. And so instead of the system helping you do the right thing... There are so many cases where the system is actually chastising you for doing the wrong thing. And then you feel terrible. And in many cases, if you're dealing with somebody who isn't as you know, familiar with that particular system, um, you know, they just you feel like, oh, I should have been doing something right as opposed to being angry at the designers. Yeah. And I've read of research where people blame themselves more often. Or, or at least often, I don't remember the percentage, yeah. but it, often they blame themselves for system errors that were presented to mm-hmm. them. And, you know, I've seen error messages. They put things with an exclamation mark at the end, like this yeah. field is required. And you feel like, oh, um, yeah, it's like yelling at you. It's and it may be subtle and people don't even rationalize it in their head, like what's happening. But there's some underlying feeling, gut 
quality kind of feeling that can come from that, especially yeah. if it's in your checking out and it's like, I typed my credit card in the right way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's negative feelings for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a bad feeling. You should always try to make somebody feel better for interacting with your system, not stupid or sad. <laughs> so before we wrap it up, I kind of want to reframe the question a little bit. Are there cases where we don't want to follow one of these maxims or places where they break down things that we can basically flip it over or say this, this doesn't apply in, in this case, or is it always universal? Uh, well, I'd say in, in general, uh, you want to follow these uh, maxims, right? You always want to give people the right amount of information and be truthful and be relevant and all these things. The only time to not do that is, you know, for humor purposes, but you have to be really intentional. Like if you're uh, creating any sort of system where you're really trying to help somebody perform some sort of task, even if it's a pretty trivial task, you want to be on their side. You want them to feel like, oh, this person I'm interacting with, like if you're in a store and you're trying to get some help in the store, or if you're talking to uh, an assistant, um, uh, you know, to like you're talking to your talking speaker or something in your house, you don't want to feel like it's making fun of you. Mm -hmm. Uh, so there are times, uh, you know, especially if you look at like the humor, a lot of Monty Python's humor was based on violating the maxims, you know, people who take things too literally, or they go on at an absurd length or, um, you know, the, uh, with the soup Nazi from Seinfeld or whatever, or you go in a restaurant where you're like, oh, this wait staff is being charmingly rude to me because that's their, uh, that's how they authentically behave and that's their style. But I think these things don't often trans, like it takes so much skill to do something like this in a way. And so much, I think shared relationship and shared context around it that I would say, follow these, like there's not a reason to be rude or to lie or to not get to the point. Like if you're doing it for effect, um, it, you have to be really, really sure that what you're doing is context appropriate. Mm -hmm. And I suppose there's also cultural issues, language barriers, where oh, yeah. does it translate to the culture, to the language? You know, I, I've worked with people from different languages and backgrounds and things are not always as clear between one another, even if it's yeah. a little bit of sarcasm and, uh, you have to mm -hmm. be very clear about that or explain it, which then sort of destroys the purpose of it. So you kind of give up on trying to use those things, which basically means don't violate the maxims. <laughs> right. Because I, I think a big part of it is the the sensors in these systems can't pick up all the nonverbal cues, right? Like mm -hmm. if you if you see a friend walking towards you and and they look upset or they look rushed or they look very anxious, you're not going to make a joke at their expense. But if you know you have a a speaker that can't, well, you know, more and more of these, like what my Nest has a camera or something now, but you can't, but computers can't read all those nonverbal cues to understand uh, somebody's emotional state. There might not be this pre-existing relationship. So you can't really play with those things because you're not sensing enough of the whole picture of that other person's 
mental state so that you can be really context aware. Awesome. All right. So this is the final wrap up here. I like to call this the endpoint detection <laughs> part of the show. So with that, can we recap what is a, a top takeaway from this, from the show? Uh, let's see. Well, I'd say it's the, it's the fact that all these maxims are just a break out of the cooperative principle. And if you think, Think, take one thing away from this in the design of these systems. It's the question of, is what I'm designing, does it really feel like it's cooperating with the user or does it feel like the user has to put in a lot of work to make to hold up the conversation and keep it going. And I think that's uh, the, the conversational maxims themselves are details, but you really have to ask, you have to say, did I design this in such a way that people are going to feel like, Oh, this system is on my side. And I think if you look at some of these things, you know, like the places where Siri or Alexa or, um, or Google home, like break down, it's because people feel like, wait a second, it's, it's just making things harder on me, or it's just making me feel um, less capable than I actually am. And so that's a that's a real breakdown. And in many of those cases, you know, using a website instead of talking to a system might actually feel more cooperative to people. And in that case, that's a more conversational interaction, even though you're not talking. Mm-hmm. I can attest to that. I know that. Um, I know people who have had trouble, whether it's their voice or accent or something, you know, simple things maybe as weather don't seem to work well. And so they just pull out their phone instead. And at that moment, you can see the first attempt failed and the second attempt worked, even yeah. though it's not voice, like you said. Yeah. So Excellent. the more cooperative, the more conversational it is. And hopefully the happier people are using your experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I like to ask three questions to all of my guests, kind of wrapping things out. So what is one interesting voice app or experience uh, you've ex- you've had recently? I would say the thing I'm doing the most uh, in terms of, of, of voice interface is I am, I am dictating my texts constantly. Like if I'm texting people, I'm, I'm doing a uh, voice to a uh, voice to text. So, yes, I know that voice dictation is, is becoming quite popular. It's been quite popular for some time for, a, I think, a limited set of people. But it, yeah. as more phones are in people's hands and you know the keyboards, even as phones get bigger, they're still hard to type. Um, a lot of people use that. And I think it's a really good use case that that can also be an interface to mm-hmm. your apps or experiences. We just necessarily, yeah. haven't necessarily wired up all the pieces yet. Yeah, but it's really good. Like the... Um the speech to text is getting really, really impressive. And I think it's also like, that's really fantastic for accessibility. So I'm, I'm really excited, like not about necessarily any service that depends on that, but I'm just excited that that's an option that, that given any text field, somebody can speak and, and that input can be interpreted into characters. And I'm excited for anything that goes the other way too. Cause I think the key is all of these systems, like it doesn't matter what the interface is. Interfaces should be multimodal for people. And what matters is what is that interaction? What value is that interaction helping you get to through the interface? Cause it sort of doesn't matter what the interface is. It's about what you get out of it. 
for people who want to learn more about design, what resources do you recommend? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wrote a book called Conversational Design that is designed to be about the first principles, not about the technology, because I think a lot of designers go to, to what's possible with the technology before they really think about, oh, what's the context? What's really, really desirable? Um, and, you know, I think at this point, it's such a new field that... Uh, that I'm just always looking to see what people are writing about, you know, on Medium or on, on LinkedIn about it, because I, I think it hasn't been a, around enough for there to be uh, a lot of, you know, books or a lot of really stable, static uh, resources that people are, will turn to. Like, there's no canon of, um, you know, conversational design at this point. Mm-hmm. Unlike you know, programming languages or something of that nature, which have yeah. often dozens upon dozens of books for each language, yeah. which is quite large. So many um, like programming languages, visual design, like there's so much stuff out there. But I think right now it's about finding people like literally talking about it and talking to them about it because people are figuring out new things like literally every day. All right. And last question. How can people learn more about you and your work? All right. Well, I'm I'm on Twitter too much. Um, I'm Mule Girl on Twitter. I'm on Medium. Uh, Our website is muledesign.com. So it's all, all things Mule. Excellent. I'll make sure all of those are linked on the website for folks if you want to check it out at designforvoice.com. And that rounds us out for today. Thank you again for joining me today, Erica. This was, I think, a really good oversight on all of the conversational maxims and how they can apply to people. Whether you're designing or developing, you can learn a lot. And it's it's really, I don't want to say it's common sense because we don't often stop, step back and think critically about the conversations we have with people around us. But if we do that, we see these maxims at work and we probably adhere to them most of the time, hopefully, um, we just <laughs> aren't always aware of it. And uh, it's great to like be a little bit more critical of that and bring that same thing to our, our actual systems and interactive experiences. So thank you again for joining me. And hopefully we'll have you on again sometime to talk more. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. It's a good conversation. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And if you liked the show, please rate us on your favorite podcast player. All of the show notes are available on designforvoice.com.